The Bible contains chilling prophecies about the end times, but right alongside is the news that Jesus has overcome the world. In his book, The World of the End, Dr. David Jeremiah instructs us how to put Jesus' prophetic teaching into practice. And when you support Turning Point this month, we'll send you your very own copy. Gifts of $75 or more will receive the World of the End study set, and you'll receive the premium set for gifts over $100. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. The after effects of the COVID pandemic continue to impact almost every aspect of life. Is there something believers should be doing during this time? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah offers biblical insights and practical strategies to help you move forward with a renewed spiritual energy. Listen now as David introduces the conclusion of his message, A Biological Prophecy, Pandemic. And thank you for joining us today. We're happy to have you as we open our Bibles and talk about um, the things that are happening today that were predicted um, many years ago by prophets who were filled with the Holy Spirit and told us what was going to happen, and it's happening. Uh, Many of you know I have a son who works for the NFL Network, and uh, when we were going through the pandemic, he told me one day that some of his buddies had called him on the phone and said, ask your dad if what's going on right now is a fulfillment of prophecy. So he did. And I ended up uh, preaching a whole message to answer the question, and it ended up being a chapter in the book that we are uh, going through right now. Is COVID-19 a prophetic sign? That was the deal. Is this pandemic that we just went through an act of judgment against the world like the flood was in Noah's day? While the Bible doesn't have the answers for such specific things, the Bible does have answers, and these answers help us understand what's going to happen in the future, and we're going to learn about that again today as we talk about a biological prophecy. What does it mean when we see these worldwide pandemics happening, and uh, how do they fit into the prophetic scheme of things? By the way, this is from the book, Where Do We Go From Here? And this book is our resource for the month of May. And what that means is you can send a gift of any size to this radio ministry. And when you do, if you ask for the book, we'll send it to you. That's right. We'll send the book for a gift of any size. We want to encourage you to do your best, but we know that not everybody's able to do the same amount. And so whatever it is that God enables you to do, when you send your gift, just say, please send me the book. Where do we go from here? And it will be on its way. We are uh, gearing up for something that's going to happen a little less than a year from now. March the 12th through the 22nd, we're going to be visiting Israel. And uh, we'll be visiting Jerusalem and Galilee, the Dead Sea, the Jordan River. With us will be Michael Sanchez, Uriel Vega, and more to be announced in the future. So information is available at davidjeremiah.org slash events. If you go to that website, you'll be able to get all the information you need. Don't wait to be the last. Be among the first. And enjoy uh, visiting the Holy Land with us in March of next year. Well, let's get started with this lesson, A Biological Prophecy. In Revelation 11, another part of the prophecy of the tribulation, two supernatural witnesses have power to strike the earth with all plagues so often as they desire. That warning isn't limited to pandemics, but let's just say I have a greater understanding of how the tribulation events will take place. 
When you read these sections of the Bible, read them carefully and prayerfully and look for emerging trends. The events of Revelation no longer seem implausible to me. Indeed, they seem to be impending. They seem like they could happen. Who could ever have believed that the world could be strangled to a stop by a plague? But we watched it. We saw it. We witnessed it. It frightened us. We didn't know where it was going. We seem to feel better about it now. We're kind of on the other side of it. We've got vaccines and all of that. But COVID-19 has taught me that everybody's vulnerable, and it's taught me that the Bible's credible. You better believe it. The Bible knows what it's talking about. It's not talking about something you don't know. Here's a third lesson that we should take away from this. The uncertainty of life. Contagions remind us of the uncertainty of life. Did you expect your schedule to be wiped out for an entire year before this happened? (laughs) Were you prepared for your children to be shut out of their classroom? For your vacation, your wedding to be canceled? For your workload to shift to your kitchen table? No one expected to stay away from church for weeks or months. How terrible for those who were laid off or whose businesses failed. Few people had their pantries stocked with sanitizers, masks, and toilet paper. Who could have known? Earlier in this message, I mentioned the patriarch Job. Do you remember how he explained the sudden deconstruction of his life? Here's what he said. My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They pass like swift ships, like an eagle swooping on its prey. Or Job 14, 1 and 2, man who's born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. How uncertain and how precious are our days. I took that away from this. I don't have any guarantee, nor do you, that I will have tomorrow. I have only the day that God has given me, and how precious is that day. How important should it be for us to give thanks to God for the days he has given to us as his gifts. So I've learned about the vulnerability of everybody. Nobody's safe from this. I've learned about the credibility of the Bible. I've learned about the uncertainty of life. And I've also learned about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. The virus points us to Jesus. As he was preparing to finish his earthly work and return to heaven, he told his disciples this. He said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Notice, Jesus didn't say, in the world you will have tribulation, and I have overcome tribulation. No. He said, in the world you will have tribulation, I've overcome the world. (laughs) Jesus doesn't just overcome the event. He doesn't just overcome the event. He overcomes the environment in which the event happens. He doesn't just overcome tribulation. He overcomes the world in which tribulation happens. That's incredible. He comes to us in the midst of the struggle when the battle is almost unbearable and the circumstances are impossible. And with the voice of absolute certainty and strength, he speaks to us of peace and bestows encouragement and raises our morale and fills us with strength. And he says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I don't know about you, but I found Jesus in a new and special way during COVID-19. I found out that he was enough, that no matter what was going on that was frightening and we didn't have any answers to it, we had one answer and his name was Jesus. And when we talked to him, he helped us. And we got through this because we believed and counted on the one 
who has promised never to leave us or forsake us. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, okay, there you go. We've had the pandemic. We've learned some things from it. But the question that's been in my heart as I've been working on this series is, where do we go from here? Now that this has happened to us, now that we're coming out of it, now that we've experienced it and hope we never experience it again, where do we go from here? First of all, let me suggest that we prioritize our prayer life. I don't ever like to mention that because I know it always makes people feel guilty. There's not one of us in this room who doesn't have moments of feeling bad because we don't pray like we should. Isn't that true? So if you think I'm saying this because I pray like I should, I'm not. I'm in the midst of this. With all. We all ought to pray more. We ought to pray better. Don't you suppose the people of earth have prayed more in the last 18 months than ever before? I mean, the more problems, the more prayer. But what kind of prayers have we prayed? Biblical prayers are the best kind, and I love this prayer of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20. It's been ringing in my mind through all of this. It's highly appropriate for today. King Jehoshaphat was an existentialist. He was in a crisis, and multiple armies were headed toward his little nation of Judah. He responded with masterful spiritual leadership. He was determined to trust God and to lead his nation to do the same. He didn't merely trust the Lord in the face of military defeat. He was ready to trust God for any disaster looming ahead. And this is his prayer. He said, Lord, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear us, and you will save us. In verses 5 through 12, he offered this model prayer. He appealed to God's character, his promises, his actions of the past, and the prayer ended with these superb words. We have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I remember when I first saw this, I was in a pretty rough place in my life. And I sort of took those last two phrases and made a little poem out of it and listened to that poem in my heart every day. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's what you do when you don't know what to do. You keep your eyes on the Lord. How many of you know he knows what to do? (laughs) How many of our prayers should end with a line like this? This is the posture of the Christian. Appeal to God's character, confess your inability, put your eyes on the Lord. And trust him when you can't see your way through, when you don't know what's going on, when you're wondering, where's this going to take us? Is this the end of life as we know it? Is this the end of our nation as we know it? You don't know what the answers to those questions are, but one thing you know is God is in his heaven. He's occupying his throne, and he's in charge, and you can trust him. And so you put your eyes on him, and you put your destiny in his hand. That's one of the things we kind of learned, and we reviewed that. So where do we go from here? We prioritize our prayer life. Here's something else I've learned. We sacrificially serve other people. How many of you know the best thing you can do when you're under pressure is quit thinking about yourself and think about other people? That'll do more for you than anything you can imagine. During the early days of the pandemic, I remember hearing the stories of people for the first time in their lives being hungry. They couldn't get food. And for several weeks, we devoted the morning hours of Friday to feeding the hungry. We packed boxes with staples like toilet paper, paper towels, and soap, and then we put another box together with food, and when people drove in front of our sanctuary Friday morning, we had people out there in six lanes, and we popped their truck open, and we put that food in their trunk and sent them on their way. 
Before they left the parking lot, we added a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread. We had somebody actually bake the bread for us. And uh, we paid for what it cost to bake it, but we had fresh bread for everybody who came through the line. And then we would pray for them as they came by. We would ask them if it was all right, can we pray with you? And we prayed for those families. By the time we were finished with this, we had touched more than 1,800 different families. We had given out 27,000 boxes of food, prayed with hundreds of families as they rolled down their windows to say thank you. As Martin Luther put it, if you wish to serve Christ and wait on him very well, you have your sick neighbor close at hand. Go to him, serve him, and you will surely find Christ by serving your neighbor. What I've learned, what we've learned in our own lives is when pandemics come, when things come you don't understand and you don't know what they're all about, don't just think about yourself. Look around and see that there are people out there who are worse off than you are by a long shot. Find a way to serve them. Prioritize your prayer life and serve others sacrificially. And here's one. Maybe you did this and maybe you didn't. I remember one day feeling badly that I hadn't done it and doing it. Count your blessings. How many of you know We're still here. Amen? If nothing else is true of the pandemic, we're survivors. We're here. But when we are feeling the pressures of unexpected pandemics, we need to get our calculators out and start counting our blessings. John 1.16 says, From his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. Paul wrote this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, even with this terrible year that's behind us, everybody says, don't ever say 2020 in my presence again. I don't ever want to hear that word. We want to put that behind us. But God blessed us even during that time. I wish I could tell you all the ways God has blessed this church, all the ways he's blessed Turning Point, how he's blessed us, and he's blessed many of you as well. Have we had problems? Yes. Do some of them still exist? Yes. But oh, what happens to us when we take a moment and thank God for all the blessings that we have. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, the Bible says, in heavenly places. The Bible says, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So prioritize your prayer life. Sacrificially serve other people. Count your blessings. And here's one. Stay calm and carry on. Stay calm and carry on. How many of you know there are some people that just know how to do that? You know somebody. Maybe you're married to somebody like that. But oh, how wonderful it is to be in the presence of someone who's in the same mess you're in. And notice... They have a sense of calmness that's obviously beyond who they are as a person. It comes from God. And when you fill yourself with gratitude for what God has done, you begin to get a kind of quiet confidence in the midst of all that's happening. I felt that often. When I would come here to preach, there wasn't anybody here. We had a camera, and it seemed so strange to me, but oftentimes I would walk in, I would sense the power of God in this place and sense that he was in charge and I had a confidence. And then I would find out how God used the message that I preached to nobody all over the county and all over the country and other places in the world. I had that confidence and he gave me a sense of calmness. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. In other words, God 
created your human imagination to be a powerful force. It can create beautiful visions of a desirable future, or it can conjure up the worst-case scenario. Have you ever been around anybody who always takes the worst of everything that happens? First thing you get up in the morning, they might say, well, yeah, this is going to be a bad day. It's not sunny outside. They see the dark side of everything. They never see the brightness of God's goodness. They only see the things that they don't understand, the dark things of life. Well, these dark products of the imagination can put you in the grip of fear, a place God would never have you go. And the Bible tells us we're to bring every thought into captivity unto God. That means don't let those negative thoughts control your life. When an unhealthy thought enters your head, I'm sick, all is lost, I'm going to die, this pandemic is going to be the end of my family, examine it in light of the knowledge of God. Does this thought have any basis in reality? If not, take it captive. Don't give it free run in your mind. Don't let it lead your imagination away from God's goodness into unhealthy fear. You are in charge of your mind. Someone said your mind is like an airport and thoughts are like the airplanes flying over. You can let them land if you want to or you can tell them to keep on going. So prioritize your prayer life. Sacrifice and serve others. Count your blessings. Stay calm and carry on and then do the next thing. We have to keep busy with whatever God assigns us day by day. This was a lesson we learned in our family. When we were first quarantined at home, Don and I realized how easy it would be just to float along with no schedule. Get up later. Don't get dressed until 10, 11 o'clock. No schedule, no plan, no objective. The thing we couldn't understand is at the end of the day, we were tired than we'd ever been in our life. How did that work? How could you be so tired when you weren't doing anything? Well, it didn't take us very long to figure out that that wasn't how we wanted to live our lives during that time. We quickly realized that if we do that, we would be exhausted every day. You probably discovered the same thing. Living life without a plan leads to discouragement and fatigue. And many people went through that during COVID. So we learned the power of doing the next right thing. In other words, we learned to just keep doing what we were doing, the work assigned to us the best we could. If I can't preach to everybody, I'll preach here. If I can't preach to the whole church, I'll preach to whoever can listen. The pandemic might change the type or intensity of our work, but as long as God keeps us on this earth, he's got something for us to do. I found encouragement from some words by J.R. Miller, who wrote, We try to settle our duty in large sections. We think of years rather than moments, of life work rather than individual acts. It is hard to plan a year's duty. It is easy to plan for one short day. No shoulder can bear the burden of a year's cares all gathered up into one big load, but the weakest shoulder can carry without weariness just what really belongs to one day. So when you're going through stress like this, and some of you are still experiencing that, just do the right thing that's next. And that's how Jesus teaches us to live. Emily Freeman has written extensively about this. In one of her books, she said, so often, right after Jesus performed a miracle, he gave the person a simple thing to do. To the leper, he said, tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest. To the paralytic, he said, get up 
pick up your stretcher and go home. To Jairus and his wife after raising their daughter from the dead when he had their full and complete attention and when chances were good he could get them to swear their lives away for his sake. He did not perform a lecture without dedicating their lives to him or about what grand plans he had for their girl now that she was alive. Instead, he told them, give her something to eat. After raising their daughter from the actual dead, the one thing Jesus told them in the face of their rapt attention was, go make lunch. At first glance, that seems like a waste of a captive audience. (laughs) But rather than a life plan, a clear vision, or a five-year list of goals, the leper, the paralytic, and Jairus and his wife were given clear instructions by Jesus about what to do next and only next. What I discovered and what I'm sure many of you discovered was I didn't need to know how the whole day was going to work. I needed to know what I needed to do next. I needed to get up. Maybe I needed to go to the store. Go do what's next. Do the next right thing. Just keep marching to the plan and don't ask for so much information in the future. The disciples at the beginning of this message, they wanted to know how the Lord was going to resolve all the issues of the end time and Jesus didn't tell them. He doesn't owe us that. He owes us only the fulfillment of his promise that he will lead us day by day, moment by moment. And let's take our cues from Jesus by considering what it means to do the next right thing. Emily, who wrote about this, made this discovery about Jesus and the art of doing the next right thing during her last two years of college. And because parking on campus was a nightmare, She'd arrive an hour early to find a space, and during her extra hour, she began listening to Elizabeth Elliot's radio program. One day, Elizabeth quoted an old poem. Though Elizabeth had updated the language slightly, it still had its rustic simplicity. That poem profoundly impacted Emily, and she tracked down the original. I'm not much into poems when I speak. I hardly ever share them. But that poem was called Do the Next Thing. It was written by Minnie Paul, who was a writer, musician, and a pastor's wife. And Elizabeth revised the poem. And this is the poem that impacted Emily, and it has touched me too. Here's what she wrote. Fear not tomorrows, child of the king. Trust them with Jesus and do the next thing. Do it immediately. Do it with prayer. Do it reliantly, casting all care. Do it with reverence, tracing his hand, who placed it before you with earnest command. Stayed on omnipotent, safe neath his wing. Leave all results and do the next thing. And if I could challenge us all to do one thing, it would be that. Don't get caught up in what's going to happen next month or next week. That doesn't mean you don't think about the future. But how many of you know you can get so caught up in the understood details of the future, it paralyzes you from doing anything in the present? What I found during this time was when I would just say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do today? What's next? I would do the next thing, and I was freed up because God always was there to show me what came after that. But if I wanted to sit down and say, okay, now by the end of this day, it never worked because everything was so uncertain. And how many of you know it's still pretty uncertain, isn't it? Every day is uncertain. It's not like it used to be. There's so much that we don't know and we can't control. But if I could just encourage you, Prophecy always has a reminder for us, and this is the reminder. There is coming a day when all these things that Jesus predicted would happen would happen. 
Was the pandemic that we just went through part of it? It might have been and it might not have been. We don't know for sure. But what we do know is it was meant to teach us some things. And we have learned those things. And let's carry those lessons over into our lives. And let's live for Jesus. Even if we don't know what's going to happen next week or tomorrow or this afternoon, let's get up and do the next thing that God has called us to do. And know in your heart that if you are obedient that way, there's no way God is not going to lead you step by step. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Could I ask you a question? Do you receive Turning Points magazine? Uh, you can receive it in two different ways. Many receive the devotional content and have it uh, sent to their uh, email address, and they just open it up every day with fresh material to read and uh, sort of a jump start for their devotional time. We'd be happy to do that. There's no cost to it. We just love to make it available to you. We have several hundred thousand people who are doing that right now across the nation and around the world. And there's also a magazine that's delivered to your home every month, Turning Points Magazine and Devotional. It's a beautiful magazine filled with articles of information about the Scripture and motivating you to read the Bible. And there's a Bible reading schedule there, and there are devotionals for every day of the week, Monday through Friday, one for the weekend, all kinds of information about Turning Point. If you don't receive the magazine, ask for it, and we will make sure that it gets to your home as soon as the next issue is printed. Have a great day. We'll see you next time right here on Turning Point. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. Let us know how Turning Point is encouraging you by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO to Wasson, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Where Do We Go From Here? Plus the bonus resource, Warning Signs of the End Times. They're yours for a gift of any amount. You can also view more than 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's sermons on any screen, anytime you like on our Turning Point Plus streaming service. For a monthly gift of any amount, visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue Where Do We Go From Here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Do you ever wonder if we're living in the end times? In Dr. Jeremiah's book, Where Do We Go From Here?, he examines what Bible prophecy reveals about 10 phenomena happening in our world today. Order your copy this month, and if you give $75 or more, you'll also receive Dr. Jeremiah's entire teaching series on CD or DVD, correlating study guide, and his interview special on DVD. Order now at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. A man approached his pastor after a church service and said, Pastor, you told us the Bible says not to worry, but I've been worrying for years and I know it works. 
Oh, really? The pastor said, how do you know worrying works? Because the man boasted, all the stuff I worry about never happens. While you get your mind around that man's reasoning, let me remind you of what the Bible says about worry. If we have concerns, Paul wrote, we should commit them to God in prayer and then enjoy the peace that comes from knowing God is in control of our lives. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's answer for worry on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.